0: Good morning everyone. It is um not exactly dry, is it? But I'm glad to I'm glad to see you here. I'm glad that we can join in fellowship this morning. Well before we get into the Bible reading today, I just want to get you to put some theological hats on. There's some words that I'm just about to briefly go through that you can forget straight after this. But basically what we've done uh last week, what Brody brought to us, and where we're going this week, brings together these three elements that we speak about as Christians in what it looks like to be redeemed, to have salvation. So last week, Brody has stepped through and said, we are justified, we have seen righteous in God. So what that is, is what we call justification. So we are seen as just, only in Jesus Christ, no confidence in anything else, only in Christ. That is our salvation right there and there faith in Jesus Christ seen through the the lens of Jesus. And then we have on the other end of the spectrum a thing called glorification. And that is pretty much what it sounds. It means to be in glory. That's the end of the goal. And so that's going to be the final day standing seated around the heavens. Today we get to this, this process of the Christian life, knowing that we have been signed, And sealed by the Holy Spirit, we've been given life. One day we will enter glory. But Paul's saying, I still haven't obtained it. I'm not in glory yet. And so there's a word called sanctification. We are sanctified. And what that means is we are set apart already by being in Jesus. But then, confusingly, theologians didn't come up with another word. And so they use the same word of this process of being cleansed, being set apart and conforming to God's image. That's kind of where we are, these last two chapters. We're saved, we're going to be in glory, but it's a trudge right now, and we walk that together. So before we get into the text, let's just pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know the exact failings that we are struggling with right now. You know our joys. Lord, I just pray that as we come to your word, that you would continue to refine us, that you will continue to pull us forward, with the joy in you, knowing that we don't rejoice just in our circumstance, because that would be a roller coaster ride, Lord. But we know that we are saved, and we will one day be with you. And pray all these things in your name, Amen. Well, I uh, I wonder if you've heard of the study of delayed gratification by Walter Michelle. I'm I'm sure many of you would have... I had to do it at uni, that was the first time I heard about it. But basically, in the 1960s, uh, Michelle started this psychological study on children. And what he was doing was basically doing a test to see how that would manifest in their later life, how their reaction to this experiment would show up in general success later on. The experiment's widely been come to known as the marshmallow test. Children between age four and five are selected. They would go into a room with an instructor. The instructor would then sit them down, nothing else in the room, and put this plate in front of them with a massive, massive juicy marshmallow. And then the instructor can, uh, proceeds to say, well, if you wait, if you don't eat this marshmallow now, Obviously, if you've seen any footage of this on YouTube or floating around, it's, um, it's hilarious. The reactions of the kids are priceless. Uh, I can only imagine, Billy's not old enough, but if I put a marshmallow in front of him right now, <laughs> I know he's not <laughs> waiting for anything. But these kids are in deep. They are struggling, and it's real. Some just couldn't even help it. Before the marshmallow's even down on the plate, they're grabbing and it's in their gob, and they're out. Other kids, they're they're a bit stronger. This is their worst nightmare, though. So they're sitting, and you see them. They're bouncing around. They're dancing in the seat. They kind of sit there and they're going. (laughs) And some of them, they even get so close. The chin's on the table. They've got the sugar dust on their nose, and they're kind of just going. (laughs) And eventually, as hard as they try, that marshmallow ends up in their mouth. But there is this one group of kids, the faithful remnant, that patiently wait with sheer determination. They stare at that marshmallow and then eventually the instructor comes in and gives them the second one. And the cheeky grin on their face, it was all worth it. Now that's an experiment that actually, I don't think, reaped much great results. (laughs) But uh, our goal, Is not a marshmallow our goal is far far greater and it's eternally glorious to know christ to be like christ to actually be with christ but what does that look like now to know him to be like him to be with him that's the question that we sort of grapple with today that's the process of the christian life between being saved being in glory As I was coming to this, I had these questions going through, like, Michael, are you are you like the child that caves in? Are you like the child that falls to fleeting desires, pleasure, and comfort? Well, that's our world. When we want it, we get it. We want it now, only there's afterpay now. You buy now, you pay later. You buy now, it's gonna rock up on your door in three hours. It's Everything is snappy. Now, now, now. And as I was working through these questions, I was going through the process of going, does this word lure us in? Does it stop us from pushing on to something far, far greater? Or do we, as the people of St. Pete's, as as fellow brothers and sisters, do we have the maturity to acknowledge and actively strain towards what it is What is ahead? Do we pursue a godliness wholeheartedly? And I think Paul's very helpful as he steps through this. He's straightforward as he addresses the process. And so if you are taking notes, classic Anglican three points, I think what we see here is he says, we need to have a future focus, number one. But that future focus creates the drive for the present pursuit. And that... All culminates in knowing and being sure that we have a confidence of a secure salvation. We have a future focus, it drives our present pursuit, and we are confident in a secure foundation. That f- future focus, it's fixing our eyes on what is to come. Brody spoke to us last week about Paul's reminder that true religion, true spirituality, it's not about our achievements. We don't put confidence in in the flesh. We don't put our confidence in weekly religious routines, just, you know, come into church, tick the box, I'm done for the week. It is to know Christ and to be like Him, to count everything else as absolute garbage compared to Jesus, selling the field for the one pearl. And it was a challenge. But look carefully at verse 10 and 11 again. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's where we were. That's what Paul longs for. But in verse 12, he now clarifies what he's just said in light of that false teaching, in light of the people that were saying, you have to follow the Torah, you have to follow the Jewish laws in addition to having faith in Christ. And so look at verse 12a, the first section. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, or that I've already arrived at my goal, And then again in verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. I think Paul's made it pretty obvious that there is more to go. We haven't arrived yet. And what we see is that he emphatically states that whilst he's so confident in what's been accomplished by Christ, what he hasn't obtained, what he hasn't yet taken hold of, is the full realization of Christ's death and resurrection. He hasn't been made perfectly yet. He looks back to verse 10 and and says, I want to know that, but I do not know that yet. That will happen on the day of the Lord. The final day when Jesus Christ will summon every man, every woman, every child, and there will be a reckoning. There will be a judgment of all the living and all the dead. We aren't in Christ. Things aren't looking so grand. But if we are, it is eternal, transformational glory. And we're confident in that. We can be confident in that because there is this set day in the future and Jesus says it is going to come like a thief in the night. But our confidence lies in the risen Lord Jesus. He has gone before. He has died. He has been buried. He has risen back to life look forward to the day with confidence. I wonder as a, as a as a young guy as a young Christian I used to think it sounds good but I want Jesus to hold off for a bit. I still I still want to um I still want to get a uni I still want to get married like I want to be a dad. Like I'd pray I remember praying Jesus can you just hold off? I just want to be a dad. And I just couldn't comprehend how much better it would be. And there were these two verses that, uh, through that whole process, I got given by one of the guys that's discipling me. And they were in 1 Corinthians, it says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And through all my injuries, he also threw Revelation 21 at me. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, the former things have passed away. Our glory is unfathomable. It is worth absolutely nothing. Everything else is counted as garbage compared to knowing Christ, to to being with Him on those end days. And that's what He's talking about in verses 20 and 21, here in the chapter. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform these lowly bodies into something like his glorious body. That's our goal. And I think that's a challenge in itself. Do you eagerly await that? Or are you going through the mundane, medial tasks of going, but I need to do this, and I need to do this before Jesus comes back? Are we praying each and every day, Lord Jesus, come, Come, Lord Jesus, come. That goal is our future focus. Knowing that there is going to be liberation, realisation, and we will be with Christ. And that focus, that future focus of knowing that end time is coming, drives this present pursuit, this present Christian life. And so in verses 12 to 14, he uses these words that explain uh, this, this drive in an athletic imagery. So in the original, it has this uh, bearing of athletics and competition. So like in a race, there's going to be a beginning and there's going to be an end. And so during the time he's writing to the Philippians, he's got the Greek games on his mind. The Olympics are going on. But what people don't realize now is that the difference between the Greek games and the Olympics is that there wasn't some mass representation of the whole world. You had to be a greek male to enter you had to be a free greek male to enter but if that was you you're welcome to join but there was this entry requirement and for us for us to enter our race there is an entry requirement the entry requirement is to have faith in christ and so when we come to this text here paul's not telling us how to be saved he's saying this is how you're going to live now that you are saved Like what matt said a couple of weeks ago we work out our salvation with fear and trembling we don't work for our salvation we are saved not by good works but we are saved to good works and that's why martin luther once said we are saved by faith alone but the faith that saves is never alone now friends all of us should be absolutely confident in christ absolutely confident uh, in what he has done but not in ourselves even this morning, we've all failed each other. We've failed ourselves. Regardless of how spiritual we have become, we all have a long, long way to go. We're never going to catch up with Jesus. He set the pace. He's over there in perfect glory. That is exactly why we need a saviour. That's exactly why we need Jesus. And so we all need to do this evaluation and we need to realise that where we are in our Christian life not where we should be we're nowhere near where we should be and so we need that reality check to go we walk we walk in the power of god as we look towards our future goal and so the language that paul uses in this section is is relentless it's this determined pursuit and so in verses 13 14 15 he says but one thing i do Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And 14, I press on towards the goal. And 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Paul says, this is how you pursue the prize. One, forget what is behind. And two, strive towards what's ahead. And what's he say? That's what a mature Christian life looks like. Forget what's behind and push on towards what's ahead. Many of you will know the story of Roger Bannister and John Landy of the Vancouver Games, Commonwealth Games. It was known as the Miracle Mile. Uh, these were the two guys that had first broken the four-minute mile. And suddenly, this is they're, they're going head to come head-to-head at these games. And so there was a lot of hype. There was a lot of build-up to this race, and they meet each other in the finals. The two runners, they're very different on and off, on and off the, the, the track. But on the track, The Aussie, Landy, he was happy to lead out straight away. He was fast out of the gun, and he would set his own pace. And the way that he would do that normally drained all of his other opponents, so they couldn't have that last final kick in a straight. Bannister, on the other hand, he had this ability to just keep at the shoulders, keep at the shoulders, and at that final straight, that's when he would come into his own. He would sprint. So in this race, Landy is quick out of this mark. He's quick out, and he's he's leading by the first lap almost 15 metres from what I can ascertain. But Bannister knew, if I've got any chance in this, I've got to close it. And so he said this, I quickened my stride, trying at the same time to keep relaxed. I tried to imagine myself attached to him by some invisible cord. And so with each stride, I drew the cord tighter and tighter and drew his lead back. Landy uh, maintained his pace, but Bannister was gaining the whole way around. Landy reached that final lap and Bannister was literally right behind him. And so as they're going that final way, Landy's going, I've got to accelerate. And so he picks up the notch again. And he goes round, he hits the final bend. The crowd is roaring as they're coming into the straight. And Landy's thinking, I'm right, I'm free. But laps, looks over to see where Bannister is. And at that exact moment, Bannister, who stayed on his shoulder the whole way, skips on the outside, and won the race by 0.8 of a second. Devastating. I thought it was an amazing story, and I watched it a couple of times on the video. But it shows two things. One, it shows this dogged determination to pursue the prize. But it also shows the lapse of taking a look. Taking a look at what's behind. When you think, oh, I've done enough, but I'll just check looking back and forgetting what is behind isn't having some sort of spiritual amnesia either. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not disregarding things of the past. Jesus himself says in Matthew, if you've sinned against a brother, don't bring your gift here to the altar, go and reconcile, then you can come back and worship me. But he also isn't saying, oh, you're a Christian now. The past is the past. There's war under the bridge. Everyone's going to forgive you. What he is saying here when he says, forget what lies behind, he's saying that your past no longer defines you. You don't live according to it anymore. You are no longer under the guilt and the shame because you know you've been forgiven in Jesus Christ and you know that you've been received by faith. He's saying you are no longer understanding that your salvation comes through your own works. No longer is Paul a Pharisee of Pharisees Nothing of the flesh is counted to him except for knowing Jesus Christ. And friends, the mature Christian doesn't take that gift for granted. And that's who we are. We we want to actively and we want to deliberately uh, pursue godliness. And the question that should be on each of our minds each and every day is how can I be more like Jesus? How can my decisions help me be more like Jesus? How can... I be more like Jesus how can my decisions be more like Jesus and how can I help my brothers and sisters be more like Jesus we have so many good things in this world but when we allow good things to distract us from the best thing they become bad things that is what it means for Paul to say I count everything as loss your career your friends there's hobbies they're not bad in and of themselves but if they keep you from growing in a likeness to Christ, if they keep you from being holy and being like Jesus, that's when they become idols. And in my short life, I have seen far too many peoples, people that have been utterly devoted to Jesus, but get distracted. And they, maybe it was you know, trivial things like golf, or travelling, or fishing, or hunting. Others, it's getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend, it's getting that new job, it's... Maybe, for many of my friends, just being comfortable in the day-to-day life. Church, that happens on a Sunday. Tick that box, but don't, don't let that interfere with anything else. You know, it's, that's, that's the warning for us, friends. It's our own comforts, our own interests becoming our focus. It took my friends out of church and away from the fellowship, and that's a warning that Paul's saying now. Don't look back. This is who we are and we strive forward together pursue jesus in light of the future and be confident because jesus has in fact secured that salvation the goal the pursuit and the confidence they're all wrapped up in the person of christ in the person of jesus verse 12c and 14 they highlight it they, he says i press on to take hold of what of that for which christ took hold of me and in 14 he says i press on toward the goal to win the prize for which god It's called me heavenward, in Christ Jesus. I think it becomes clearer when we do isolate those particular verses. We see that our security is only in Christ. He's already come down. He's paid that price. He's paid that price so that we can even enter the race. And then he goes further. And that same power that rose him from the dead lives and dwells within each one of us. And he reaches down and he grabs us and he's tight pulling that cord he's tightening that cord and pulling us towards the end that is how we walk and paul says the resurrection is secured and is already ours in jesus christ the mature christian understands that the future is guaranteed for us in jesus we're already in so what are we actually pursuing What is it that Paul wants us to strain for, to reach for? It's a Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. He is the one whom there is full righteousness. He is the one who is of ultimate value. He is the one who has already gone before. He has died. He has risen. He has ascended in heaven. He has the name above every single name. And we press on toward the goal. The upward calling, the prize, to be with Him, to know Him, to dwell with Him in the heavens and so Paul says brothers join in imitating me and those who live like this walk according to the example that's who we are to each other that's who we are to the world to be an example for Christ people look towards a whole lot of other things in this world we keep our eyes fixed on Christ on our Lord Jesus and our Savior press on towards him invest your present pursuit for him And like what a lot of Paul says, it's, it's a double-edged sword, it's a warning and it's an encouragement. It's a great encouragement for us. If you are in Christ Jesus today, you are secure, you are in the race, you are already going to be there at the end days. But friends, if you aren't walking that race, if you don't see your life striving that way, you got to check yourself. Are you in the race? It doesn't matter if all our doctrine's right. We don't come here to fill ourselves up, you know, scratch our ears out here, look at all the knowledge I've got. We come here to know Jesus Christ. We come here to know more and more of Him, to be created to be His vessels for Him. If you're satisfied with your Christian life right now, I dare say you're aiming too low. Don't let the world lure you in. Don't let it get into your heart. Don't look back. Focus on the glorious future. Let that drive your present pursuit and be confident knowing that we are secure in our salvation. Maybe dwell on that verse for the rest of the week. Make it a memory verse. Make a hook. Sing to it. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father, the reality of understanding and truly grasping what it is you have done for us is far, far a bridge to, to, to climb, to, to truly understand what it was for you to come down to make yourself lower than all things in this earth, to die and rise again to be the name above all names. And you did that for each and every one of us. Lord, as we come to your word daily, as we walk this Christian walk, I pray that. In the power of your spirit, you would be quickening our hearts, quickening our steps to be eagerly driving and pursuing you to be like you. Lord, I pray that we press on towards the goal, forgetting what is behind, straining towards ahead, awaiting that final day when you will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant.